is the Todd and Friends podcast. I don't like to waffle on predictions. That doesn't mean I always hope I'm right. Oh, what's he going to do? <laughs> oh, come on. I'm with you. So, thank that. you. Yeah, I'm with you. Todd, I knew we'd agree <laughs> on something here. From the KWLM Sports Studio. With thanks to Heritage Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Here's Todd Burgess. Hey, thanks for joining us for the podcast once again today. Uh, Matt Williams uh, joining us on these Tuesdays during the summer. He accurately titled himself the summer friend uh, for the program here. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Todd. And uh, happy to be your summer friend. <laughs> hey, you have a couple of daughters who participate in summer activities through the Wilmer Rec programs and things like that. How's all that going? Oh, it's great. Uh, uh, my one daughter's do, uh, in a tennis camp that uh, runs uh, every Monday and Wednesday and uh, just do a great job with that, Jim. Uh, uh, you know, Jimmer, everybody knows Jimmer, yeah, and, yeah. and uh, he does a great job with it. And uh, first, first, I got to tell you this story. You'll like this one. The first uh, week we show up, my daughter, you know, she's, she's still young. She's going to be a sixth grader. And, yeah. and uh, you know, we had bought her a tennis racket at Target or something a while sure. back. And, and Jimmer, in typical Jim fashion, looks at it and goes, you know what that tennis racket would be good for? Your dad should tie it to a fishing line and use it as an anchor to help uh, slow his boat down. <laughs> you need a new tennis racket. So, anyway, so we had to run up the shields and get a te- new tennis racket. So, no, uh, yeah, so she's been doing that, and it's great. And uh, um, My older daughter is uh, starting cardinal conditioning, and so she's lifting four days a week, uh, and they do such a good job with that and, yeah. and getting them interested in, in conditioning and lifting programs. And, uh, you know, it's amazing that they get to that age, and it, it starts. You have to right. start lifting, and you have to start getting in. Uh, you know, better agility. They have it's a whole program that they do out there at the high school, and they do a really good job with it. Yeah, uh, Coach Heitzman was in charge of that for years. Is he still? No, uh, Coach Ollers okay. and, and uh, uh, Coach Courtney, uh, younger Coach Heitzman, yeah. uh, yeah. uh, yeah. Mikey, and and uh, there's a, there's a whole group of them that help out with it now, and and uh, um, they have five different sessions an hour at a time, and you know different age groups and. Uh, from 10 to 11, they have an all-girls session. So, you know, a middle school girl, they don't necessarily want to lift next to a bunch of high school right, boys. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been really good. Yeah, make them comfortable. That's that's the first thing. you got to be comfortable in there when you're lifting. You don't want to be around a bunch of people pushing heavy iron when you're kind of just getting going for the first time. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, it's a lot of it is just right now just, you know, learning how to do the different lifts safely and, and yeah. really teaching them that and then, then you start adding weight as the year goes on. And then, of course, uh, you know, um, basketball, uh, Coach Hedke runs his basketball camp 7 through 12. So, uh, you know, my, my oldest daughter is part of the high school, you know, basketball program all summer. And, and you know, you and I have talked before. Part of why, um, you know, when, when it got to the point of, of should I keep coaching or not, one of the things I knew is that I had to do more in the summer, and I didn't know that I wanted to do that with yeah. my family. Yeah. Um, well, they're doing you know three four days a week in the mornings that they're they're doing basketball workouts and uh, today he's got a bunch of teams in Painesville playing in a tournament and uh, you know basketball goes all summer long. Yeah, it does. Well, we saw gals playing in eighth grade for the Cardinals over the last few seasons. We've seen eighth graders come up. I think we've even seen a seventh grader uh, come up and play a little bit uh, uh, at the varsity level. So I think in particular on the girls' side of of basketball, if we're talking just about that, they tend to be ready for varsity sooner than the guys do. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, you see it all over. If you watch the state tournament, uh, you know, Maddie Greenway uh, made waves as as an eighth grader playing. I think think she was an eighth grader this year, but she played a lot last year as an eighth grader. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Cardinals had multiple uh, eighth graders that were playing this year. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, just 
girls mature a little faster and, and yep. sometimes they're ready to to play at, a, at an earlier age um and just overall numbers at least in wilmer is uh you know they're not quite as many kids in the in the varsity program at the girls level so you have to reach down just a little bit lower yeah. where the boys yeah. have 70 kids 9 through 12 yeah well it's in terrific shape then you know unfortunately we've been seeing in some schools uh in the central lakes conference that they're struggling to get numbers for basketball we're seeing you know, schools that are large needing to co-op to put together teams. I'm thinking in the St. Cloud area mm-hmm. in particular. That's too bad. It's I don't know if kids aren't somehow they're not they're not reaching them uh, in St. Cloud. So more kids will play. And I think I think you know some schools it's the the you know singling out certain sports has become more of a thing. You know, I'll give an example of a girl I know. I won't say her name, but in Wilmer, um, you know, she's in Florida right now playing uh, at uh, national club level. Uh, volleyball with candy elite volleyball and in some places their basketball coach might hold that against them and say well then you missed my, you missed two weeks of my workouts and you know really make them feel bad about it uh so far in wilmer we've avoided that and, mm. and we've been able to have coaches that really work together and and encourage kids to be multiple multiple sports ath- athletes and say okay well you know what the experience you're getting in florida playing at a national level uh you know volleyball tournament I can use that. I can use that competitiveness or I can use that experience and, and I'll, I'll tie in the basketball skills later, but you know, just to have those experiences, that's going to help you as a full athlete. And so uh, I do think that in Wilmer, at least right now, we've done a really good job of encouraging multi-sport athletes. I'm not saying that we've got a bunch of future professional athletes here in Wilmer, but when you listen to professional athletes talk uh, and, and they say that, Playing multiple sports in high school helped me uh, become a competitor. It helped develop all of their muscles in their body, so they uh, they weren't necessarily specializing. Now, I'm not criticizing those parents and kids who want to specialize. And volleyball, in particular, seems to be a sport where they do like to do that because of the nuances in the game. It takes a lot to put that together. Um, but but it's good to see just opportunities uh, for kids and. And I do like to see him playing multiple sports. Again, not criticizing those that are specializing, but but you hear a lot of high-quality, high-level athletes at the pro level saying multiple sports is really what should be going on. I think what it really comes down to is, was it the athlete's decision to be a multi, to be a single-sport athlete, or was it they were pushed into that because they felt pressured one way or another? Yeah. Um, you know, you have a, a very high-level athlete like Sydney Schnickels, right? Yep. And Wilmer last year going to play for the Gophers this fall. She's a volleyball player. She was never pressured that that was her decision. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a coach somewhere saying you need to do it this way or you yeah. need to do it this way. She realized early on volleyball was going to be the sport she wanted to focus on. She played it all year round. She was competitive in multiple places. She had different coaches. She had all these different experiences to build her into the athlete she was. I think that's the key. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's in, in some places we've heard and, and I have, I have uh, friends and relatives in the cities that they feel the pressure from outside sources. Hey, you can't do this. You can't play it this way. I have a nephew who was going to play for one of the high-level AAU basketball teams in the, in the cities, and they told him at sixth grade that he wouldn't be able to play baseball if he was going to be on that AAU basketball team. Wow. And, you know, he had to make that decision. He yeah. chose not to be on the AAU basketball team because he loves ba- baseball. And so yeah. I think it depends on whose decision it is. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, in Wilmer, at least so far, we've done a good job of leaving that up to the individual athletes and their families to make those decisions.
Yeah, per- perfect. If, if the if the student athlete themselves uh, says, I just want to focus on this because I see a future or I just enjoy it more than everything else. I, I'm playing this sport and I wish I was playing the other one. Fine. But like you said, if they're receiving pressure from outside uh, that influences their decision, they're not going to be happy about that anyway. So if they're feeling that pressure to specialize, so they do because of the pressure, well, they're not going to enjoy it as much. Well, and you know, Todd, as, as a former athlete, that having different types of coaches, I think, is a big, yeah. big part of this, too. And, and, you know, I think one of the reasons why why professional athletes would say they're, you know, they liked having multiple sports, multiple sports is different coaches coach them differently. And yeah. so now all of a sudden you go into the minor leagues, you go into college basketball, and you're going to get coached different than your high school coach, yeah. uh, you know, coached you. And, and so uh, having multiple sport, multiple sports and multiple different uh, coaching staffs coaching you, I think, is a positive as well. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you referenced that tennis program, and I was thinking about that. They implemented a program in the summer for kids just starting out playing tennis where they used bigger tennis balls and and rackets, and they made the court a little smaller just to get them used to seeing that hand-eye and getting the ball going back and forth across the net and have a little fun with that because, honestly, when you first start playing tennis, you're chasing the ball around more than you're doing anything else. You're getting in a couple of swats, and then it's let's go find the tennis ball. Where did it go? Uh, you know, it's, we got to run across somebody else's court. But with those smaller balls, there's a lot more action to it. You start to build that hand-eye a little faster. Yeah, and, and uh, my kids were part of that. That was at the middle school courts, which yeah. they've now torn down. I, I'm assuming, Are they putting new tennis courts I'm, in? I'm assuming. Oh. I, I don't even know. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, just, I noticed that as I drove by the other day. But, um, yeah, my kids were part of that. And, I mean, you show up the first day, and I can't remember if my kid – I think my daughter was like a kindergartner or a first grader. Yeah. Show up, they hand them a racket, brand new, for them yeah. to keep. They, you know, and they, they give them all these, these uh, tennis balls that they're, they're a little slower bound, a little lower bound, so yep. they don't have quite as much in them. And, yep. and they just run up, you know, they run around the court and they're swatting at the ball and everybody, everything's positive, everything's happy. And uh, I think that's good. I think it brings more kids into the program now. Yeah. Now, as they get older, they get into a little more, uh, you know, a little more, uh, you know, a little more serious, I guess. That's probably not the right word for it either, but maybe a little more competition. Yeah, just a little more com- competitive and, and, uh, uh, you know, you see, I'm seeing improvement. My my younger daughter Callie, she just loves tennis. And yeah. So, uh, we've also been taking her to play pickleball. Yeah. And uh, you know, I know it's obviously not the same, but it's the same hand eye coordination yeah. and yeah. Move, movement around the court a little bit. And uh, you know, and and again, there she sees. You know, you really see the if you hit it right, it's gonna go, and if you hit it wrong, it goes way high, and if you hit it low, it goes in the net. And I mean, all the same things as tennis, but it moves a little faster and. A, you're not chasing the ball around quite as much. You're not chasing the ball around so much, uh, you know, which which I love to play tennis, too. I played it a ton as a kid uh, growing up, and, and I'd like to play more pickleball now. Uh, I probably will start trying to do that uh, somehow. It's certainly a good game for old guys like me to get a little better shape because <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run all day long if I'm chasing a ball. If I'm just on a treadmill or something, yeah, you know, it's just not for me. No, I've got none, I've got none of that. Anyway, so. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> hey, let's talk uh, twins a, a little bit. Um, they're just not very good, it doesn't seem. Uh, you know, I, I was telling you beforehand, it's it's sometimes better when you're doing a lot of sports talk if the team isn't very good because then you can kind of rip them a, li- a little bit and, and so forth. I think there's a good baseball team inside a bad one just trying to get out. Uh, but they so far can't seem to get out of their way. They just aren't hitting a lick. They just seem kind of lifeless yeah. to me, you know, that just – the the hitting does it you know does it feel like to you like they have a good approach a good plan when they come no. up to the plate you know when they're on base are they stealing are they hitting run are they 
they doing anything to try to make add a little life to the program it, it just feels like that you know that they just assume that they're gonna have it they're gonna be able to turn it on at some yeah. point and they haven't been able to yet and, no and the pitching's carried them starting pitching's carried them a little bit yeah well now we're starting to see that's uh, start to crack a little that's right a little bit there's so much pressure on the starting pitchers right now and they are throwing more pitches but so far, the middle relievers have been ooh, a little scary, especially when Pagan takes the hill again. For what reason, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, you get to the back end, and Duran has been really good, but now Jorge Lopez is out, although he hasn't pitched that great uh, anyway. But uh, they, they need to start uh, somehow finding some offense from somewhere. I'm not sure uh, what it takes. Um, I, don't, I don't think uh, the... The hitting coach right now has has got him going on the right approach. You, you're looking for somebody to scapegoat for a team that's got the second lowest batting average and the fifth lowest OPS uh, in the game, and and uh, you know you can't fire all the players. So then you look at the hitting coach after that. Yeah, and, and you know I I read something interesting about the the Tampa Bay Rays, which is you know of course we're like Rocco and, yeah. and some of these people are trying to emulate i think a little bit and yeah well, that's the organization he came from right and 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 so they talked about you know they they go into a game and they've they've got this whole like you know analytic um you know scouting report of exactly how they're supposed to try to approach a pitcher and like what pitches they're even supposed to be looking to hit versus which ones they're not supposed to be and you know i i, I it's obviously working for the rays and they've figured out a way to as a as a group to kind of do that it feels to me like our hitters are thinking too much or something i don't i don't know you know that they're swinging at bad pitches they're watching good pitches go by just lifeless yeah and it's a team thing it's it's everybody uh right now is struggling they don't have a single hot hitter in the lineup uh outside of royce lewis a little bit um but uh it, and and all the, if they could just get one guy going sometimes that spark uh, lights a spark uh, of other guys, those guys need to be Correa and Buxton. They're the highest paid guys. They're supposed to be the middle of the order. They're supposed to be the guys carrying the team uh, when they have the largest contracts f- by far over every other hitter uh, in the lineup, and it's just not happening. You know, I watched one sequence last night, and obviously, I you know, I didn't watch the whole game last night, but I yeah. watched a sequence where, um, you know, it was three to three, and. Uh, you know, Correa came up or Buxton came up to the plate and he got called out on a strike that was, you know, three inches above the zone. And, yeah. and he didn't, he didn't argue. He didn't turn and, and wasn't angry. He just looked defeated. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it was a, it was a play, it was a call that was a bad call. And, yeah. he, you know, you'd like to see life there. You'd like yeah. to see a little fire there. Turn around and say something, you know, yeah. Rocco, come out and get, say something from the dugout, something. Yeah. And, and he, he Buxton just kind of walked off and then Correa came up to the plate and the first pitch he swung at, Landed in front of home plate, a curveball, and he took a big old, you know. Yeah, missed it by two feet. Oh, by by a long ways. Yeah. I, I just thought, wow, that sequence right there, those those two swings or those two pitches, that tells you a lot right there. To yeah, me. that that's your best two players, and one watches a ball go by that gets called a strike and doesn't have any reaction whatsoever, and the other goes up, and the first pitch he swings at hits the dirt. Yeah, and and just like, well, if that's our leaders, then no wonder we're hitting the way we are. Right. It, it, it it's, it's so true. It's it's a perfect uh, example and and a small microcosm of what's been going on. And and then they start, you know, to to bring in Michael Taylor to play center field every day. 
uh, you know, he's not an everyday center field. He's a fourth outfielder. And then they bring him in and play him in center field. So everybody's talking a lot about Louis Arise. Of course, I was glad he was traded. I, I, I thought the pitching, they got a couple of nice prospects uh, as well. But they, uh, uh, with, with uh, Arise uh, out of the lineup, everybody's talking about him, but he just couldn't play any defense. But if you rewind it, so let's say they didn't trade him, you'd have to have a, a position for him. Well, that would be DH because he's a terrible defensive player, ranked 59th of 60 second baseman in Major League Baseball defensively by fan graphs, which everybody looks at for defensive metrics. And uh, so, well, then you say, well, he could have been a DH and maybe sparked the Twins lineup. Well, then that wasn't going to happen because they had Byron Buxton uh, plan to play him at DH every day, which doesn't make any sense to me. No, and, and and you start to ask yourself then, okay, well these are these are guys that were grown that were grown up in the Wilmer in the Wilmer in the Minnesota Twins organization, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, Arise, Edward Julian now, yeah. right? Yeah, these are guys that came up through the Twins organization and they get to the major leagues and they don't have a position. Yeah, I can't play any defense. So so. Is, isn't that an indictment on the Twins' development program somewhere yeah. along the way? Yeah. Why can't they develop any of their own starting pitching? At the start of the year, all five starters had been traded for. They didn't draft and develop a single starting pitcher. And, and you know, you have, you have all these guys. You have Kirilov, who's kind of a first baseman, kind of an outfielder. Yeah. You have, you know, Walner, who they're, they're saying is, you know, he could be. He's a good hitter. Can he can he feel the corner position? Is he more of a DH type? I mean. If it's over and over again when yeah. you have these players, and I think they're trying to create versatility where they can you know mix and match in the lineup and move guys around. Yeah. But you end up having guys who don't have a position basically. Yeah. And, and and you know even Royce Lewis, we watched you know his development. It's like he came up as a shortstop. He's a shortstop. Yeah. And then we throw him in center field. Yeah. And he gets hurt. And he gets hurt. Now yeah. he's we're jamming him into third base, yeah. and he's done an okay job. He's better at third. He's airmailed a few throws, and he's you know he doesn't look super comfortable to me, but. Yeah. That's where we're going to put him now, and, yeah. and just is there a long-term plan? That's my question, I guess. And, and well, it, apparently it's to draft a shortstop in the first round every year, and then move him to some other position. Well, why did you draft him as a shortstop uh, if you if you're going to move him anyway? And they're talking about that with Lewis, and they should have stopgapped shortstop last year until Lewis was ready. Mm-hmm. They misjudged that he was ready to play, and then once they got him there, they. They misjudged again that, you know, the players revolted when they sent him down last year. Uh, he, they, he should have been moved over to third base then. I don't know. They've mishandled Royce Lewis right from the beginning, I think. And, and you, you say that the players revolted a little bit. I think we're maybe seeing just a tiny bit of that right now. Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray. Yeah. You know, he's not afraid. He wasn't afraid to get in uh, Rocco's face. And, and he's got to be upset then the next day. Yeah. They, they leave um, – pitcher out to dry he'd given up five runs and they left him in there yep. and then even last night pablo lopez threw 106 pitches or something and yep. they kind of left him out to dry just a little bit because you know bullpen help bullpen help yeah well there's no consistency and, and doesn't seem like it and i think when at some point you know you you want to mix a match and get the best bats in the lineup but then you pinch hit for royce lewis or yep. you you do this and the players have just got to be confused at what the plan is as well. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for coming in. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Todd. Yeah, Matt uh, Williams joining us here on the Todd and Friends podcast. It's brought to you by Heritage Bank. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Watch for future episodes of the Todd and Friends podcast at kwlm.com or on the air here at KWLM, 1340 AM and 96.3 FM.